The Daily 202's Big Idea is supported by Battelle. For 90 years, the employees of Battelle have solved the world's most challenging problems, finding solutions and really big ideas. At Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at battelle.org 90. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, September 16th. In today's news, President Trump says the U.S. is locked and loaded as Iran denies it was behind the crippling attacks on Saudi oil facilities. Several Democrats call for Brett Kavanaugh's impeachment after new revelations. And Trump promises to do something this week on guns. But first, the big idea. For the better part of two years, U.S. District Judge Dan Polster has urged some of the nation's most combative lawyers to craft a settlement that would funnel billions of dollars from drug companies to cities and counties ravaged by the opioid epidemic. The judge, who has wrestled with what legal experts describe as the biggest civil lawsuit in U.S. history, wants this to happen sooner, not later, because so many lives are at stake. Polster's best motivational tool has been a firm trial date, October 21st, when opening arguments are scheduled to begin in northeast Ohio near the banks of the Cuyahoga River. But nothing is simple in this unbelievably complicated case. The latest twist came over the weekend when some of the drug companies being sued filed legal papers asking Polster to step down. They claim that his zeal for a settlement and references to the death toll from opioids and the role of drug companies in the crisis shows he cannot be an unbiased jurist. The drug companies have broadly denied they're responsible for the tremendous spike in addiction and fatal overdoses from prescription opioids that began about two decades ago. And Polster has not been giving interviews. He's put a limited gag order on attorneys in the case. People who know him well, though, tell my colleagues Joel Achenbach and Lenny Bernstein for a profile in today's newspaper that the judge is a deeply private person who doesn't relish being the center of attention. The 67-year-old is a Cleveland native. He's a dedicated fan of the Indians. He has season tickets with friends and the Browns. He's a member of two synagogues, and he's been married for more than four decades to another lawyer whom he met at Harvard Law School. Polster served in the antitrust division of the Justice Department and then as assistant U.S. attorney in the Northern District of Ohio before being nominated to the bench by Bill Clinton in 1997. The legal maneuver by the defendants may only have a modest chance of derailing the trial, but it has put Polster uncomfortably in the spotlight. What's more, it's a reminder of how much is at stake in this trial certainly tens of billions of dollars at the least. Also at stake, though, are the reputations of some of the largest and best-known drug makers, distributors, and retailers in the world. They face a shaken, angry public, as well as elected officials who want someone to be held accountable for the more than 200,000 overdose deaths from prescription narcotics over the past 20 years. Those companies can feel the pressure of recent legal developments. The state of Ohio in recent weeks won a $572 million settlement from Johnson & Johnson after that drug maker chose to go to trial rather than settle. Purdue Pharma settled with Oklahoma for $270 million, and its owners, the Sackler family, are hoping to close a multi-billion dollar agreement with the Cleveland plaintiffs that would end their ownership as Purdue goes into bankruptcy. Several other companies have also settled in advance of trials, fearing that they'd lose in front of juries. A global settlement, however, would be hard to pull off in just a few weeks before the October trial starts in Ohio, making an epic courtroom confrontation seem almost inevitable. Two counties from Polster's home turf of northeast Ohio, Cuyahoga and Summit, 
are scheduled to go first. It will be a test of how the others and the drug companies may fare before a jury. Polster has long had a reputation as a judge. He prefers to see lawyers settle rather than duke it out at trial. Settling can be a mixed blessing. It speeds up a long, often unpredictable process, and it can be less costly for everyone involved. But legal experts say that some contentious claims are best tested in a trial, one that it can include witnesses testifying in open court and in the presence of a jury. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, President Trump said Sunday evening that the United States is prepared to respond to the devastating attacks on two oil installations in Saudi Arabia that cut the state oil company's production output by half, while Iran rejected U.S. accusations that it was responsible. In a tweet last night, Trump wrote that there is reason to believe that we know the culprit and said the U.S. military is locked and loaded, quote, depending on verification. Trump did not name Iran, as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo did on Saturday, nor specify whether he was contemplating a military response. He said he's waiting to hear from Saudi Arabia on who they believe was the cause of the attack and under what terms we should proceed. The Trump administration is contemplating what U.S. officials characterize as a serious military response, though we're told that some in the Pentagon are urging restraint. Trump met on Sunday afternoon with the new Defense Secretary Mark Esper. And oil futures jumped Sunday evening as markets opened for the first time since the attacks. The price of Brent crude surged 18% before falling back some. Trump has said that he authorized the release of oil from our strategic reserves, if needed, to blunt the market impact of the attacks. Number two, a chorus of Democratic presidential candidates called Sunday for a new investigation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh in response to a New York Times piece that says Kavanaugh was seen sexually harassing a female student while at Yale. Senators Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, along with former Housing Secretary Julian Castro, even called for Kavanaugh's impeachment. This is something that's got a 0% chance of happening so long as Mitch McConnell is Senate Majority Leader, and McConnell said as much in a statement last night. Harris and Warren voted against Kavanaugh's confirmation, of course, after Christine Blasey Ford accused Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct while they were high school students in the 1980s. The justice vehemently denied the claim, and he was confirmed in a 50-48 to 48 Senate vote. The New Times piece was adapted from the upcoming book, The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an Investigation. In it, the reporters said they had corroborated a prior claim of sexual misconduct against Kavanaugh and that they found the FBI interviewed none of the potential witnesses they spoke to. Deborah Ramirez, a Yale classmate of Kavanaugh's, had alleged during his confirmation process that he exposed himself to her in college. Her account had received less attention than Ford's at the time of the confirmation. The Times reporters say that at least seven people they interviewed had heard about the incident, including the alleged victim's mother. Number three, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer urged President Trump on Sunday to endorse a gun measure that already passed the House and pledged to join him for a historic signing ceremony at the Rose Garden if the legislation is enacted. The Democratic leader said in a joint statement that they spoke with Trump by phone Sunday morning at their request, 200 days after the House passed H.R. 8 and H.R. 1112. The two measures, which would expand federal background checks for gun purchases and transfers, represent the first major firearm restrictions to advance in a generation. But Trump has threatened to veto both measures. The Democratic push for action comes amid public outrage over the mass shootings around the country last month, including in Dayton and El Paso, which left 31 dead. 
The call was made around 11 a.m. when Trump was at his golf course in Northern Virginia. It lasted 11 minutes. The Rose Garden idea was Schumer's. White House spokesman Judd Deere confirms the call, says the conversation was cordial. Deere says Trump made no commitments on the measure, but instead indicated his interest in working to find a bipartisan legislative solution on appropriate responses to the issue of mass gun violence. According to an official familiar with the negotiations, Trump told Pelosi and Schumer that he was having a, quote, big meeting on Monday about guns, and he promised that he will do something this week. We'll see. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, September 16th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 